0: From Muhlenberg College, this is 2400 Chu. I'm Tammy Katzoff, and in each episode of this podcast, I talk to one Muhlenberg graduate about their current work and the industry in which that work is done. For this episode, I spoke with Christian Paris, class of 2016, who is a certified restorative justice facilitator for an organization called the DC Peace Team, which does, among other things, community development initiatives and crisis de-escalation in the Washington DC area. As I do with most of these interviews, I began the conversation by asking how and when Christian became interested in his occupation.
1: I think it stems back to my my time at Muhlenberg. I became very involved in a particular collective of students who after the, the murder of Eric Garner and Michael Brown became quite involved politically on campus where resistance ideas of, of activism and nonviolent nonviolent resistance merged with healing and community building, I think we often overlook the fact, especially now around the country, that that resistance goes hand in hand with healing, and the pathways of restorative justice, restorative practices themselves are a, a new way of of thinking that I have come to come to learn from those who I have. I have learned from, and I think it is that hybrid of nonviolent political action with healing as well, um, as two two elements, um, that are, I, I believe are key in, in transforming the society, our society for the better.
0: Did you go right from Muhlenberg to grad school?
1: I, uh, I did not. I, I first went and worked in, uh, in India, in Northern India for an awesome organization called Operation Groundswell. And their whole initiative was, was bridging the intercultural gap between Tibetan youth um, and North Indian youth and uh, North American youth, um, to have conversations about environmental justice, about community building, community development, and uh, just to have a good time, too, where we were able to, to hike around the, the magnificent Himalayas. So it was quite a, quite a privilege to do that for a little bit before moving into grad school.
0: And was it always a plan to continue your education?
1: You know, it wasn't. I thought for a hot second that I was just going to go and bum around the Himalayas for a while. (laughs) The mountains definitely called to me, but I came back and uh, had the opportunity to apply. um, And for some reason, they they let me in. So (laughs) they gave me a shot. So I was able to pick up and and do a little studying after I got back.
0: Pre-pandemic, did you have a typical day at work and, and what was that like?
1: You know, I think that the, the line of work that my mentors are in and that I am slowly merging into, we realize that there is never a typical day at work. <laughs> you never know what, what crisis is in need of, of de-escalation. You never know what session is in need of, of dialogue and conversation, what conflict might need that, that mediation. So we are, we are quite fluid in the way that we move around D.C. When we are called, we go. Um, which is a pretty cool opportunity to watch my mentors and w- work with my mentors and, and to go um, to do that at, at the, at the drop of a hat. It's been interesting because we have also tried to incorporate training consistently to bring on new facilitators, new de-escalators every chance we get. So we find that the most consistent thing is actually just galvanizing more support and getting more people and getting their expertise to bring to our organization. So, but It was pretty fluid up until, up until the pandemic started.
0: And now what are your days like?
1: (laughs) A lot of zoom calls, (laughs) a lot of zoom conversations, but you know, pain has not ceased and crisis has not ceased and conflict has not ceased. We moved from the streets. We moved from school buildings. We moved from community centers right onto zoom. Um, and zoom has been quite a blessing to maintain these conversations, to lead full trainings for the weekend. And, uh, it's been pretty awesome how, uh, how my mentors and how my community has adapted. Pretty cool to be a part of that, too.
0: So, yeah, you're mentioning your mentors. Tell me a little bit about them.
1: Yeah, we have we have everybody from <laughs> we always joke. It's everybody from the Peace Corps to the Marine Corps who has has kind of joined up with with our organization, who believe that creating a more peaceful and nonviolent world is it is the most crucial and uh, especially crucial now as our country is is in the throes of finding its new identity of trying to see how we'll emerge out of this so these mentors have been have been everybody from from nonviolent activists who have been you know protesting for years to former state department and military military employees who come in and realize that traditional lenses of of seeking justice seeking of seeking peacemaking can be and must be um, reinforced by kind of alternative methods of, of community safety and, and crisis de-escalation. Yeah, it's been pretty cool to kind of get both of the sides of the, of the spectrum for sure.
0: I would like to get a, a better picture and I would like our listeners to get a better picture of, of mm. the specifics of what you do. So can you yeah. tell me a story about, it could be a specific case, you get a call, what happens? And this could be a real, a real case that you've dealt with, obviously leaving out all the personal information. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens? Just what happens? Yeah. You get a call. What happens? I
1: uh, I accompanied my supervisor, man by the name of, happy to share his name. He's a wonderful guy. His name is Dr. Eli McCarthy. He's a professor of justice and peace studies down in Washington, D.C. Quite a man, quite a good man. But we we work in, in a particular organization called the McKenna Center, the Father McKenna Center down in, in Washington. D.C., which is um, a location where homeless folks can come together, share in a meal, uh, share community, um, and also share in their experiences and their own wisdom to help each other find the next step and launch from that next step and uh, one of the programs that they run are uh, Restorative Justice Circles, the DCPC team sponsors and facilitates. Usually around every Monday, it's actually pretty stable, but usually around every Monday morning um, or every other Monday morning, we will head down to the McKenna Center, in a circle um, with around eight to 10, usually gentlemen, who come and join us, and uh, we ask them a series of questions, whether it's a theme of community struggle, personal struggle, We've done spiritual struggles. We ask them to identify a particular challenge of that week, then break it down into further questions. The core questions of restorative justice being: What has happened? Who was harmed? How are you or how are they harmed? What do you need to heal? And what can we do right now to begin that process of healing going forward? So we sit in these circles, and we, of course, present these questions. But these men are usually the ones who teach us. They are teaching us how they are experiencing the world, how they are moving from one job to another, how they are coming out of family distress, familial distress, how they are experiencing racism on the streets, how they are experiencing love on the streets. Some incredible stories about romantic love that has come from the McKenna Center community. But it is a space where truth is told and truth is told fearlessly. And we have found that we start with a larger group gets to 10. Then it goes to eight. Then it goes to about six as the as the sessions go on. And it gets down to the core crew around four or five who are there. And they become a support network in and of themselves, where they are reaching out. One person shares, I'm really struggling this week with trying to find a job. And then another gentleman will chime in and say, I know exactly where you can go. I have a buddy down the street. We'll hook you up. We're going to get this done. And often I find that it's it's so much easier to say things and say that we're seeking justice than actually doing justice and building community. I have never been proven more wrong by these these men who give us a lesson in saying, don't just say it. Don't just say that you're going to begin the process of feeling that you're going to support your community, that you're going to actively try and repair the harms that you have experienced. Do it. Do it and do it hard and do it well. Yeah, I mean, that is that has been... That might just be it's not just one particular experience, but man, that has been one of the most rewarding things to see over and over and over again uh from people in our very own our very own city of Washington, DC. I hope that answers the question, but <laughs>
0: I think it does. Yeah. I mean, it definitely gives a broader picture of like what you're actually doing in the day. Yeah. It seems like your job encompasses a lot of different roles. Mm. Educator, activist, counselor, etc. How do you see yourself?
1: Well, I hope on my best days to see myself as a community servant and a practitioner of, of nonviolence, um, of nonviolent mediation. I think I am often finding that I am a student of those I interact with more than anything else. A student of community development, a student of grassroots of grassroots peacekeeping and peacemaking that does not involve armed presence, a student of, spontaneous methods of de-escalation and mediation. And I think the breadth, and I, I am I, I do apologize, I am struggling because it is a very broad, a broad job in which we are we're a part of, but it is unbelievable how often I find, even when I go into a situation planning to, you know, be a part of a de-escalation or an unarmed civilian protection cohort, I am often still a student. Um, I am often listening and learning from people on the streets, uh, more than anything else. So yeah, activist mediator peacemaker on my best days, I hope to be, but of all time I am a student every day.
0: Yeah. Do you ever feel that there's a safety issue for yourself?
1: We have been in a few hairy situations. (laughs) Um, our organization has, we provide a, a service called Unarmed Civilian Protection, where we go in and whether we're coordinating with protest leaders um, and organizers or law enforcement, we will go in and and wear yellow vests and be there as um, unarmed de-escalators. We served between protesters and counter-protesters at the Unite the Right rally back in Charlottesville. We served at the March for Life uh, this past January, and we are planning to serve uh, as protests and, and, and civil civil displays of un- unrest currently right now we we are serving and coordinating with both organizers and law enforcement alike um so there are some times where people challenge us and say who are you to walk in here and say you know how to de-escalate a situation and you know what sometimes it's like that's a good question <laughs> for sure i'm glad that you asked that let's let's talk about it this is who we are and uh So far, thank goodness we have been, we have been safe um, and have been able to bring hairy situations into dialogue, but yeah, we know what it takes. We know that what risks we assume when we go out, um, especially for doing de-escalation work, Um, but that is a part of it.
0: Two-part question now, Mm -hmm. what are the most challenging aspects of your job and what are the most rewarding aspects of your job if those two are different
1: from each other? I think the most challenging part of my job is questioning my own rights to be in a space, whether it's uh, on the street doing de-escalation work, leading facilitating circles within the homeless community in Washington, D.C., um, or working as an unarmed civilian protector. I think there is, in all honesty, I I, I walked into it at first and felt a deep sense of Imposter syndrome, saying, well, "Why? Why me? Why do I get to be here? Why do I get to feel safe to wear this vest?" It it forces me, especially as we get challenged, and a lot of the times, rightfully so, um, in terms of how people are asking questions. I find that it forces me to constantly check my own assumptions, check my own privilege, um, and check my own yeah yeah check my own privilege um I think is a big one, and I think that is a a day in and day out necessity that especially white folks i identify as a white, straight male, especially white folks need to be aware of engaging in this work, especially in marginalized communities. but at the same time, I think the way that you you see people accept an alternative form of justice seeking um people not just accepting it but investing in it and adding their own expertise, their own wisdom, their own experiences, de-escalating a, a fight on the street or, or de-escalating something between you know, a protester and a counter-protester, people want to get involved. People are passionate, yes. People are angry right now, absolutely. But people so have this desire to be heard and also to hear. Um, and to learn and I think when you have that interaction take place and dialogue begins why are you so mad right now when you ask a protest or a counter-protester protest? What, what is driving that anger tell me I want to listen I want to hear they open up and you hear their narrative and you hear how they have come to be in that place that's unbelievable because you realize that they have a heart they have a soul they have a desire they have a Background: They have a family. They have a history that is as valuable and needs to be valued um, because that's how healing is going to happen. When value is felt truly equitably across the racial, across the economic, across the across the spectrum in this country. So being a part of that and hearing those conversations happen, and hear how a protester and a counterprocessor will come together and will actually exchange numbers and will have dialogue further on. It's just that makes up for any, any, <laughs> any series of crappy de-escalations or facilitations at the end of the day, for sure.
0: Am I right to guess that this field, this career field, is mm. fairly new? In mm. other words, you, you have a very specific ma- um, graduate degree, right? Your graduate degree is?
1: Conflict resolution. Right.
0: Just curious, do you know if that was a newish program?
1: Hmm. Um, the program that I went to uh, is is about I would say it's about yeah twelve years old now. It started at Georgetown in two thousand and eight, and branched off of of an international diplomacy program uh, that was original there at the School of Government. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is pretty new. But it, it kind of brings in um, a hybrid of peace studies, um, which have been you know taking place on campuses for years, um, with negotiation tactics and mediation tactics and conflict analysis theory, conflict theory that um, kind of comes together into this little, this ball of, of what conflict resolution degree looks like. So it is new, but I find that it is still incorporating a lot, a lot of the practices that have been steadfast and, and very present uh, tenants even at, at universities and, and colleges all around the country for sure how
0: do you think it might change in the future progress trends
1: we are definitely a busy field right now we are craving to speak of the conflict the cr field the cr world we are craving peacemakers we are craving theorists conflict and crisis theorists who are looking at conflict around the world and in this country in new and expansive and socio-culturally minded ways who see data and and social experiences utterly linked we're craving people who understand that intersection and at the same time i think whether you you, you feel that You are more comfortable discussing theory in in, in discourse or in a classroom where you want to be out there on the streets wearing a vest, wearing a yellow vest, actually de-escalating potentially volatile situations. I think the way in which the world is writhing right now, we are going to absolutely need new thinkers, new doers and new peacemakers who see all of the pieces uh, coming together
0: what recommendations or guidance would you give to someone who does eventually want to do what you do?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, as before it comes down to number one, being that student, always being willing to learn, always being willing to absorb information outside of a classroom, outside of a place of discourse. Um, my background at Muhlenberg, um, I was a philosophy major. And I knew that my particular focus was in the philosophy of activism and nonviolent techniques of resistance. Um, my, my focus when I was abroad, I studied abroad in Nepal, worked with uh, the Tibetan resistance and exile to the occupation, the Chinese occupation of, of Tibet. So I knew that from, from my, own, my own journey, I knew that I wanted to be in this field, um, whether nationally or internationally. From that moment uh, when I began to explore, but um, within my program and within the DCP scene, we have a lot of international relations majors. We have a lot of political science majors. Um, we have a couple of law students who came in there um, to bring in their their understanding of mediation and conflict resolution uh, back to their field. But at the same time, you know, we have folks. We had two math majors who moved into the, the conflict resolution program at Georgetown, who really did feel a, a call that occurred after they graduated with their math degree and after after they did work at a at a major researching firm. They said, No, we wanna we wanna approach this from a different angle. So I think of course there are particular particular pathways, whether you are working working at a at a peace building organization like D C P SEAM or interning at, you know, um, if you want to go down to DC, like the State Department, you have a lot of folks who did that. But at the same time, I think the beauty about being a part of this field of work, conflict resolution and grassroots conflict resolution, is that word. It is grassroots. So your initiatives at the local level, whether you start them yourself or whether you intern at a large, you know, governmental organization, they are still valuable. A part of that. However, if you're interested in in pursuing this, brushing up as much on the civil rights movement in this country, the brushing up on, on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in, in South Africa, for example, there are there are a lot of different areas of of learning that can be done outside of the classroom, as I said, that will help influence and bolster you as a candidate for an organization like the DCP team.
0: This episode of 2400 Chew was produced by me, Tammy Katsoff, Associate Director of the Muhlenberg College Career Center. It was recorded remotely and engineered by Paul Krempovsky at the studios of WMUH, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Our opening and closing music from Cowboy Bebop is performed by the Muhlenberg College Jazz Big Band.